Well, let me just begin this morning. I want to share with you a little bit about my sense, my best sense, of what's supposed to happen here when I stand here or when whoever is preaching stands here on Sunday morning. We open God's Word, this book, so that we can hear what God has said through these human authors. And our purpose in doing that is not just to get to know our Bibles better. Our purpose is that we might know God, His heart, His thoughts, His ways, that we might know not just about Him, but know God. And I have a very high degree of confidence. I want you to know this. I do my job, I stand here Sunday by Sunday with a very high degree of confidence that the more we know God, the more we will delight in Him and find our joy in Him. So I do this week by week in that confidence, opening God's Word and seeking over the space of time to teach the whole counsel of God, seeking to understand what God says, for example, in the book of Romans in the book of Revelation, in the book of Ecclesiastes, in the Gospel of Mark, ladies, as you look forward to this coming Bible study. But there are times when in my own time, my own private time in the Word, I encounter something that is unusually helpful to me personally. God just lights something up in His Word for me, and He presses it over the coming days and weeks, and it affects me and helps me in an unusual way, and it makes me want to share that with you. And that's what's happening this week and next week. I shared with you two weeks ago as I was giving a little bit of a preview of where we're going in the early months of 2020 that I have felt over these past months this pastoral burden, this desire in my heart toward you for your good. And it has to do with this thing that God has used to encourage me so much recently, this idea of how Christ is toward us now. What his heart is toward us now. Now that he is in heaven and we're here, how is Jesus toward us now? You know, we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and we can see so clearly how Jesus was with his disciples and those who came to him. And we can think, you know, that must have been so nice, so good. Jesus right there, you can just immediately experience his care, his compassion, his counsel. So it would be natural for us to go to him with whatever circumstances or troubles we might have. He's right there. But now, now that he's not right here, how is he toward us now? What is his heart toward us? What, what is his posture toward us? We can be tempted, I think, sometimes to think we're kind of on our own now. You know, as Christians, we, we spend a lot of time focusing on the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, as we should. But then we're not sure quite how to think about what comes after that. Jesus just kind of vanished. So we're left focusing on his life and his death and his resurrection. And occasionally we talk about his second coming. But what about now? What is happening now? What is he doing now? Is he just kind of biding his time? Is he waiting for time to pass and 
we're kind of on our own. He's at some distance and hard to connect with. Friends, we need to know nothing could be farther from the truth. And the writer of Hebrews takes pains to make this point. Did you notice this when we read this a moment ago? He takes pains to make this point. Look at the beginning of verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. It is so important for us as Christians to see this, to know this, to really get this, because if we don't, let me tell you what's going to happen. We're going, to, we're going to be trying to live our Christian lives without benefiting from what Christ has for us now and intends for us now. And, and we're either going to then be living on some kind of sentimental thoughts and feelings about Jesus, or we're going to be living completely on our own strength. So it's absolutely essential. If we are going to come to him with confidence and actually receive from him mercy and grace, it is absolutely essential that we have a clear and abiding picture of Jesus in heaven with exactly the same heart posture toward us as he had toward his own when on earth. The same gracious disposition, the same tender affection toward us. Listen again. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So we're going to take this in two parts. Part one today, I just want us to see from Scripture that it's the same Jesus, there for us in heaven as was here on earth. The same Jesus. Part two next week, we'll see what he does for us now. So this morning, this same Jesus, the one spoken of here in Hebrews chapter 4, the one now acting on our behalf, is the very same Jesus we see and are so drawn to in the Gospels. I mean, it's a fairly simple idea, and yet it's one that we, we don't think about very often. About 300 years ago, a guy named John Owen, one of the great Christian thinkers and writers of that day, he said this, I quote, it is a fundamental article of the faith that Jesus is in the same body in heaven that he lived in on earth. It is a fundamental article of the faith that Jesus is in the same body in heaven that he lived in on earth. Now we know that body's been glorified, but it's the same body, the same Jesus. In other words, having fully identified with humanity, having taken on our, not just the appearance of humanity, but real humanity, having completely entered into human experience, Jesus did not lay that aside when he returned to heaven. And I want us to see that this morning. I want us to see several demonstrations of that truth from God's word. I do believe it is the teaching of scripture. I, I believe Owen was right that it is a fundamental truth. The book of Hebrews 
rests on this as a very significant part of its foundation. But I want us to see it together, to look at several interactions that demonstrate this point, and I'm going to take our time with this. I don't want to rush. I don't want to just state this truth. I want us to see it and get it established in us because, listen to me here, the effect of this truth is life-changing. And I don't want us to miss that effect simply because we haven't grasped the truth. So, three demonstrations. Demonstration number one, it comes from the lips of Jesus himself. So look with me at the Gospel of John, chapter 13. We're going to do a little work together this morning, looking at a few passages. So turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Chapters 13 through 17 of the Gospel of John we think of or we know as the upper room discourse. Jesus teaching his disciples right before he dies. And notice how it starts, chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. In other words, everything that Jesus says in the subsequent chapters, he says, knowing He says, in light of the fact that he is going back to the Father. And he wants his disciples to know about how it's going to be after that happens. After he leaves, things are going to be different. But he's going to be exactly the same. He wants them to know that his heart toward them will be the same. He will send a comforter, the Holy Spirit. And he, the Holy Spirit, would take from what Jesus has and bring it to them. Look at chapter 16, verse 14. I'm just going to pick a few different places in the Upper Room Discourse that demonstrate this truth. Chapter 16, verse 14. He, speaking of the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus still caring for them. Jesus still teaching them. It's me, Jesus says, that's going to be in touch with you. And look at the very next verse, verse 16. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. It's very similar to what Jesus said earlier. Earlier, Look back at chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Do you hear that? If I go, I will come again. Me, this same me that has been with you these three years. Yes, I will be away for a time, but I will not change in my heart toward you through all of that time. I will come for you myself. Listen, in this upper room discourse of Jesus, in multiple ways, I could show you a half a dozen more ways, in multiple ways Jesus communicates to his disciples, listen, it's me, this same me, that will be available to you while I am away. I will dwell with you. This me will come 
I will communicate with you. I will be preparing a place for you. I, I will come back for you. All the time I'm away, you'll be in my heart. My heart will be full of tender affection for you, marked by a gracious disposition toward you. I'm the same Jesus. I will remain the same Jesus. So, demonstration number one. From the lips of Jesus himself, that Jesus in heaven has the same heart toward us as he did toward his own while on earth. Second, demonstration number two, from the lips of angels. Turn with me to the very next book, the book of Acts, chapter 1. Now before I show this to you, let me just give you a little background here. After Jesus' resurrection, he remained on earth for 40 days, appearing to his disciples, appearing to crowds of people. Many people saw him. But there was one particularly poignant moment with Jesus and his disciples. I mean, you can imagine, they're having a hard time processing this. This kind of thing didn't happen every day. And so Jesus was full of compassion, full of patience toward them. But he knew he wasn't going to stay long. He was going to return to the Father because there was now a kind of work that he had to do there. So at one point... We read about this in Luke chapter 24. The disciples are gathered there in a place in the city of Jerusalem, and Jesus just suddenly appears in their midst. Listen, this is from Luke 24. Just listen. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, Peace to you. And they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me. And see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat here? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it right in front of them. And then... Just a few verses later, we read this. Luke is very intentional about putting these things together. Just a few verses later, he says, Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Do you see what Luke is telling us so emphatically? This Jesus, flesh and bones, able to be touched and handled, able to eat right there in front of them, he was taken up into heaven. Okay, now, Acts chapter 1. It's the very same scene. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. And he ends his Gospel with that ascension scene, and he begins the book of Acts, the narrative of the early church, with the very same scene. But notice here in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by him, by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Do you hear what they're saying? Very carefully, very purposefully, this same Jesus, they're purposefully using his human name. 
He carries his humanity back to heaven. He carries his identification with us, his ability to sympathize with us back to heaven. And he will keep that. That will be who he is and how he is all the time that he's there, right up to and through the time that he comes again. This same Jesus, as you saw him go, he will come again. So demonstration number two from the lips of angels, that Jesus in heaven has the same heart toward us as was seen and experienced by those who interacted with him on earth. Third, demonstration number three. From the lips of the first person to die for being a Christian. This guy named Stephen. We read about this in Acts chapter 7. You might want to turn there. The book of Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 6, We read how Stephen was chosen by the early church. Seven men chosen to help address a problem that was developing there in the church in Jerusalem. And look back at chapter 6 for a moment, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up And they disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Well, Stephen is invited to speak. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. The high priest said, are these things so? And the rest of, almost the rest of chapter 7, this long chapter, is Stephen speaking in his own defense about how all of the Old Testament was leading up to and, in fact, pointing to Jesus. And when he got to that, the religious leaders, they, they, they just kind of go berserk. Look at verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But now look at this. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, I want you to notice something very particular about this. Stephen, about to die, sees Jesus standing. The book of Hebrews makes a really big deal about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God in heaven. He's sitting because his work is finished. He offered a sacrifice once for all, and then he sat down at the right hand of God in heaven. Like five different times the book of Hebrews makes that point. And yet here he is standing, ready and eager to receive this brother 
who's about to come home. Same compassion. Listen, when, when his people suffer, Jesus is moved. Overflowing with compassion, just as he was while on earth at the tomb of Lazarus. He is here at the suffering and imminent death of Stephen, moved. You know, we're not told of any specific interaction between Stephen and Jesus while Jesus was on earth. From everything that we can pick up, Stephen kind of comes into the picture after Jesus is already gone. But Stephen would have heard about Jesus. In fact, I can imagine Stephen lamenting the fact that he never had the opportunity while on earth to interact with Jesus, having heard all of the the accounts of what he was like. And now, here, he would recognize the same Jesus. This very same Jesus. And now I experience him. So demonstration number three from the mouth of Stephen that Jesus in heaven has the same heart toward us as he had while here on earth. So I trust it is clear. There is a continuity of the person and heart of Jesus. Though he is not physically here with us, his heart remains the same as it was on earth. His heart remains as graciously inclined, as full of tender affection toward his own and those who come to him as ever it was on earth. There is a continuity, an uninterrupted continuity of his character and his care. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 captures it so perfectly. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So what did we see of Jesus yesterday when he was here on the earth? We see him tender, so tender towards sinners and those suffering all kinds of things. We, we see him welcoming to tax collectors and sinners, prostitutes and liars and thieves. We see his earnest love, his earnest desire for all to come to him. All who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. When you read the Gospels, it is so clear that Jesus cares deeply about people, real people, individual people. He sees them. He loves them. His heart goes out to them. Listen, the great message of Christianity is this. Jesus has come to make a way for us to be right with God. Jesus has come and we see how he is in the Gospels. And now we are told from his lips and from the lips of angels And from the lips of a holy man, this same Jesus, this very same Jesus that we see throughout the pages of the Gospels is now in heaven with a heart toward you, the heart toward us, which is no different. I think about Jesus' words in that prayer that he prayed in John chapter 17. He said, I do not ask for these only, thinking about those disciples who were right there with him at that point, He says, I also ask for those who will believe in me through their word, which is like you and me. Jesus has us in his mind. Jesus has us in his heart, and his heart toward us is exactly as it was toward people while he was here on earth. 
So what's the point this morning? Here it is. The tender affection and the gracious disposition Jesus felt toward people while he was here on earth, which we see so beautifully displayed in the Gospels, is the same tender affection and gracious disposition he feels toward us now. I'll say that again. The tender affection and the gracious disposition that Jesus felt toward people while he was here on earth is the same tender affection and gracious disposition he feels toward us now in our weakness, in our sin, in our suffering. Christian, do not fear that Christ's going off to heaven in any way alters his heart toward you. He is filled with tender affection toward you now as much as ever he was toward Peter in his stumbling, or toward Mary Magdalene in her sin, or toward Thomas in his doubting, or toward Martha in her fretting, or toward John in his steady following. He is full, filled with a gracious desire toward you now as much as ever he was toward anyone on earth. We have complete assurance, complete assurance of his sympathy, and that in itself should encourage us and sustain us when things are tough and are going wrong. We have someone in heaven. We have one who has passed through the heavens. We have one who is seated at the right hand of God and who is willing to stand up when he sees you suffering. This same Jesus who came and showed his heart, God's heart toward his own people just like us. Therefore, we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, knowing how he will be toward us. Knowing his heart toward us is full of tender affection and grace. So, young believer... I know there are those in that category this morning sitting here. Older believer. Struggling believer. Strong believer. All of us, every one of us have needs. We have weaknesses. We have times of confusion and depression. We have limitations of all kinds. We need help. We need help with our relationships. We need help with our loneliness. We need help with our finances. We need help with our health issues. We simply need help living the Christian life. And so in that situation of need that we all face, we could, we could try to pretend that everything's okay. We don't have any needs. Or we could drown it all out somehow with some distraction or some form of escape. Or we could just give in to despair. Or we could come boldly with confidence to the throne of grace, knowing that there is one there, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever, whose heart is toward me with affection and grace so that I can get help 
I can even get joy. Jesus said to his disciples, I've spoken all of these things to you about me, about how I'm going to be towards you while I'm away. I've spoken all of these things so that my joy may be in you. And exactly how those benefits come to us, exactly what Jesus does for us, we'll see next week. So please come back. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for um, this book and this particular little passage, this picture of Jesus at your right hand, full of affection and grace towards us, very aware he sees and knows and loves. God, I pray that that picture would abide and that it would help us. It would actually make a difference in how we live this week, what we do, where we go. God, help us to, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace and there find mercy and help in our time of need. God, thank you for truth. Truth about Jesus. Thank you that it makes a difference. And God, help us to live in light of what we know to be true. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.